0: This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast.
1: You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station.
2: This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye
3: 103.8. I'm Helen Farmer. This is the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast podcast. We brought in a whole range of experts for today's episode and some real life stories too. It was Zara Merza, a dyslexia coach and literacy specialist who outlined exactly what the disorder is, what they know about causation and ultimately how a diagnosis is reached. We met not one but two young authors, you might be surprised how old they are, turning their attentions to murder mystery. It was Ella from Hikes and Bites who was offering up some inspiration for family friendly trekking. Get your backpack on, how to keep the kids entertained, and by which I mean not whinging, and where to go. And meeting the Ocean Sisters who are determined to get more women under the waves. Joining us live on the line is literacy specialist and dyslexia coach, Zara Mirza. She's at the Developing Child Centre who works really closely with parents, therapists, educators in helping children with their learning challenges. And I know she's incredibly busy. It does seem to be a time where getting appointments with experts is, is really difficult. So we have stolen her away from clinic until three o'clock today to answer my questions, but honestly, most importantly yours. We've had a number of messages coming in on the text line. And um, Zara, thank you so much for being with us. Um, I want to, I guess, start by asking you to briefly explain what dyslexia is. And I know it's it's something that you talk about day in, day out, but if people are unfamiliar, or perhaps there's a bit of misunderstanding about what it is. Are you able to clarify that for us?
4: Thank you very much for having me on. I'm really sorry that I could just only get myself away for 15-20 minutes. We will have so you, you back.
3: Don't secret. you worry. <laughs>
4: <laughs> it would be an absolute pleasure. Um, dyslexia. Contrary to what a lot of people believe is primarily a language language disorder. So we have something that's called a phonological loop. We see a symbol and it varies according to languages. And onto that symbol, we map a sound. And then we have a string of those symbols sequenced in a certain order. And then those sounds get sequenced in a certain order. And then we string those sounds together to make a word. So that's how we read. That's one end of the loop. That loop gets reversed when we spell. Mm -hmm. We hear a word. We break down that word into its sounds. And then we map those sounds onto whatever we're writing on or typing on. And those symbols appear. So when this phonological loop gets interrupted, we see dyslexia. So the simplest way of putting it is that dyslexic individuals see the wall, they don't see or they have trouble seeing the bricks Mm -hmm. that Make up the wall. I've never heard it. Yeah, it does.
3: I've never heard it explained like that, and it really, really does. Because I think a lot of people think of dyslexia being a reading disorder, but the fact you're stating it there as a a language makes so much sense. Because we've already had messages about people concerned about their kids who maybe can do phonics okay, but they're they're having issues with um, reading out loud, for example, and and all sorts of different things. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you um, about when people come to see you. You know, is it coming from parents? parents' concerns? Are things getting picked up in school or even nursery? And at what stage are you getting families come through the doors, Zara?
4: So families are now, I think that we are now so well aware. Schools, nurseries, parents, we're really well informed. And sometimes parents come to me with children as young as four years old, who are just not able to, according to them, get it. Mm-hmm. But at those very, very early stages, we still look at parents reading to their children and reading things, reading books that have a lot of rhyme in them. So, writers like Julia Donaldson or Eric Carl, um, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See? I See a Teacher Looking at Me. So, things that end in rhyme. That recognition of rhyme when you're very, very young, those are those very early literacy pre-reading skills that we will see in very young children. Mm-hmm. So dyslexia generally is something that gets picked up in year two, year three, so around the ages of seven or eight. But that does not mean that a child has to be kept away from early intervention mm-hmm. um, in FS2 reception or year one. We were
3: talking about kind of physical milestones yesterday about gross motor skills, and I, I really try and stay away from the word normal because especially with with kids, you know, we've got such a range of, you know, milestones that they should be hitting, whether it is you know physical or psychological, um, academic as well. But I wondered if there were any kind of red flags that you know people could be looking out for, and maybe as you say, it's not in the four to five, but maybe that's six, seven, eight. Um, what what are some of the things that you as as a as an expert would say to parents? Okay, are they doing X Y Z? You know, are they not able to do A B C? <laughs> Excuse the pun. Um, you know, what what other what things we should be tuned into, Zara?
4: I think one of the first things, one of the biggest things to look for is that if a child is developing in all other areas and they're developing really really well, so they're socially emotionally really well developed, they're aware, they're making friends, they are. In all other aspects of development, even in school and academics, they're doing really well. Mm -hmm. But reading happens to be the one thing that they're just not getting. And if they're also becoming aware of that difference, if they're commenting upon it and they're coming home to you and as mom or dad or as a teacher, they're saying that this is really easy for my friends. Why am I not getting it? Then it's really worthwhile looking into it and exploring
3: the... Zara's frozen. Please come back, Zara. I've got so many questions for you. Is she there? Can you hear me? Am I back? You're back.
5: Whew.
3: Oh, my i took about 10 years off Where my life. <laughs> you know um, just about, about that, about exactly that, you know, recognising that, that this could be a sign that some kind of early intervention is needed. That if, the, you know, as you say, right. in other parts, and we've got a message along exactly those lines I'm going to come to in a minute. Um, um, a question here from Oliver saying, what do you know about causation and risk factors? So what, what do we know about why someone
4: might have a dyslexia diagnosis? So, As far as for what we know now, there is a very, very, we have got excellent, excellent evidence showing us that dyslexia is highly genetic. Um, The second very big factor that loads the dice and might put you somewhere on that continuum of dyslexia is that if in the early years when, you know, when the child is a toddler, if they have something called a language impairment. So they might have they, they would have speech, they would be communicating, but the speech might not be clear. Mm-hmm. There might be a lisp. And something that we call a word retrieval problem. So um I'll give you an example of a word retrieval problem. I was wearing sparkly eyeshadow, and a little girl working with me asked me, Why do I have sprinkles on my eyes? So she substituted the word sparkles with sprinkles so those are um, risk factors that we look for and children who have a genetic risk for dyslexia plus a language impairment Mm -hmm. um, their their dice i would say is loaded um, I
3: loved one of your recent Instagram posts, Zara, where you explained that kids, teens, adults do not have to love or even like reading. And I wondered if you could unpack that because I think it'll offer an awful lot of reassurance to parents.
4: I, I, you know, there's so many times when I ask parents to think about all the things that they really hate doing. I I really hate hitting the gym. I It's just not my thing. But I know that at my age, I have to do it. So I have found some sort of exercise that works for me and I do it. I don't have to like it, but as a functional thing to keep my body ticking along, Mm -hmm. I do it.
3: I'll I'll give you my example. I hate thinking about finances and financial planning, but I know as an adult, I have to do it. So now I'm working with someone that doesn't make it as painful because I can't sadly put my head in the sand and forget about it. Are you drawing a parallel between kids and reading? Some kids just genuinely don't like it or spend time doing it.
4: Yes. And not just, ch- not just children, adults as well. I think that we've been sold this idea that somehow we're failing as parents if our children are not curling up in cozy corners with books. And for some children, it's not going to happen. And we're not failing as parents if our children are not doing this. Mm -hmm. And we have to keep in mind that 20% of the human population, that's one in five individuals, are somewhere on that continuum of a dyslexic type learning trait. Reading is not something that comes to us naturally. We don't all enjoy reading. So (laughs) acquiring it as a functional skill is important, but loving it is not a necessity.
3: Thank you for that. I want to come to a message we've had from Frances saying, Hi, both. Our nearly six-year-old, so year one, she says, is really struggling with phonics, reading and writing, doing great in maths, excelling in art and science, but she gets very emotional and tries to avoid anything to do with reading or writing at home. We do the class reading book um, during the week, but we have weekends off because we get tears every single time. She gets letters and numbers back to front when writing, doesn't understand spaces. When she does do writing, it's basically one long line of letters, no gaps. Eye tests have been done, hearing tests done, all okay. She has had speech therapy when younger, and the teacher has mentioned there are some sounds that are not there, like yut, rut and la. When she can get assessed, in the UK, it's age seven. Thank you.
4: I, I Once again, yes. there are, There are, and we go into clinical technicalities of the Diagnostic and Statistics Manual, which I don't want to go into why there is, an age, almost like an age gatekeeping Mm -hmm. there of seven years old. So um, I'm not a fan of that because it's almost like we wait for children to fail and we wait for children to almost get a knock to their self-confidence before we give them the support. This child can and should be getting support um, for their learning difference or their learning style the diagnosis could come later on, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense.
3: It does make sense, absolutely does. And I I guess lastly, I wanted to ask you before we let you get back to clinic, um, and I guess I just want to demystify it for any parents who are out there and whose message we're not going to get to today, who... I guess is a bit intimidated by the thought of coming to see a specialist, doesn't know what a diagnosis you know, in that room might look like and what the impact of that might be beyond beyond the clinic as well. So can you tell us a little bit about how you um, as an expert, um, as an associate member of the British Dyslexia Association comes to reach a diagnosis um, and
4: just break that
3: down a little bit for any parents listening today?
4: So a a formal diagnosis process, well, the first thing is when you come to see someone like me, I have got excellent tea and coffee and biscuits. (laughs) It helps. And we share stories. My children received their individual diagnoses. Well, they're teenagers now. So we're talking about 10, 11 years ago. So we swap stories because I've been where parents are now. And I know that it's an emotional journey. Mm -hmm. So that's where we start. But the diagnosis process is a little bit involved and it's a little bit involved in that the child will be spending about three to four hours spread out over several appointments with an assessor who is licensed and qualified by the DHA. The assessor will also be spending time with the parent and the assessor might also be spending time observing the child in their setting like school or even home. Mm -hmm. Um, There will be a battery of standardized tests that are administered at the end of which a legal document is prepared. So it's just not handing you a report that says, here's your little box, this is where you belong. This is a legal document because the law according to the KHTA and the federal law of the UAE now entitles anyone with a diagnosis regardless of their age with accommodations in all of their environments, whether they're social, their school, or they're the workplace. So that's, in a nutshell, what the diagnosis process looks like. Thank you. It's not scary. No, I it's not. You. No, it's not scary. But I think it's really useful to
3: have it explained and the implications of it. And as I said, we'd love to have you back. There were a number of matches we weren't able to get to today. And I know um, an awful lot of adults who want to share their own experiences of diagnosis misdiagnosis and living with dyslexia later in life as well in the meantime those are and um, for anyone that wants to follow you on instagram and it's a great resource and um, what's the best way of getting in touch with
4: you so you could follow me on instagram and you could follow the clinic the tdcc at the tdcc on instagram and we are very active on our socials and someone if it's not me directly then the lovely team who keep me ticking along will get your messages through to me.
3: Zara Meza, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. We will absolutely revisit this topic in the future. She's a literary specialist, dyslexia coach at the Developing Child Centre. So if you want her details, just message me saying Zara, and I will send you the Instagram for both her and the Developing Child Centre. hiking boots on the weather is perfect for the great outdoors exploring hiking trails being in nature and our guest now ala Jabir is joining us she's the founder of hikes and bites uae all about exploring different activities to keep you busy keep the little kids moving as well ala thank you so much for being with us how are you today Thank you, Helen. I'm very good. How are you? I'm well. I'm really excited to hear what you've got to offer when it comes to family-friendly treks and trails because... I got into hiking a couple of years ago um, and whenever I've tried to take the children, it hasn't been the most relaxing experience. Let's just say there's been lots of little bottom sitting on rock saying I'm tired and I think maybe we've just been pitching it a little bit wrong. So we're going to be getting some great recommendations out of you. But let's let's start with you because I understand you're an interior designer. You've got two kids yourself, um, eight and eight a year and a half. So have you always been active and outdoorsy? Yes.
0: I have. Uh, Well, I've I've been always active. I haven't really been outdoors yet. I just had a passion for nature, but I haven't had the actual um, opportunity to be outdoors as much as I have uh, recently. So what changed? Oh, I think the opportunities have changed everywhere. Google Maps have made it a lot easier for everyone to go around, to Mm. explore easier and harder, harder locations to reach is now actually easier. Um, you know, on Instagram, information from other friends, other people, it's getting a lot easier than it did before. And, um, well, the, my son, actually, <laughs> was the first reason that I got outdoors. I didn't I didn't want him to stay home, and I didn't want him to stay uh, in front of a tablet or a TV or indoors in general. I wanted him to be outside, so that really pushed me to take him somewhere away from the city, let's say.
3: I heard you first started hiking when you were pregnant. Is that true? Yes, I was pregnant with my son. I was seven months pregnant. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and where are you from originally and how long have you been in Dubai for?
0: Uh, I'm from Jordan. I lived here for 18 months. I studied school and university here. Um, so I was pretty young. Considered <laughs> I consider it home. I consider you as
3: a second home. Well, we're so lucky. As you say, there's been... I think actually COVID was a big part of it for many people where travel yeah. just, just became that's, that's not that's that really possible. True. You know, we started looking at what's available in the UAE, you yeah. know, what, what's in the neighbouring Emirates. And actually, a lot of people were very, very surprised to see that, you know, there's so much nature around us. And it, sometimes yeah. it takes a bit of inspiration from people like you. Or sometimes it's downloading, you know, Wikilock and getting in your car and, and packing a bag and see what you can find. Can I ask you then? About getting yeah. the kids into hiking. Because, as you say, the draw of the iPad is very real for a lot of kids, mm-hmm. mine included. Um, what's, yeah. the, what's the kids get out of it? Um, out of hiking. Yeah.
0: Well, um, my son really, like, I, don't, I wouldn't say he enjoys the hike, but he enjoys the outdoor, being outdoor. I don't expect him to enjoy hiking as much as I do, but I do want him to love nature in general. Mm-hmm. Um, he enjoys when we go in water streams. He, he's really curious and he asks a lot and he touches the water and he touches the plants and asks about plants and asks about stuff. And I've seen a lot of difference, even in my baby. Uh, She's one and a half, but I've seen how she uh, notices the birds. Like if she sees a bird flying, she now notices it since six months old. Um, I've seen her physical ability like develop a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, Even during the hikes, she now knows where where it's easy
3: for her to walk and where she actually needs my help to
0: hold my hand.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. Um, That's that's really really lovely. I think for like mine, like that kind of sense of accomplishment of realizing that they've reached a point or there's a you know there's a there's a milestone I guess for, for them to go oh look how far we've come and they like following on the map you know how many yeah. kilometers and they they go like how many Burj Khalifas is that yeah. and I'm like we've walked five Burj Khalifas you know it's kind of that, that's the measurement. Yeah. We're taking advantage of this beautiful weather and heading to the hills, if not the hills, then mountains and waddies today. Joining us live on the line is Allah. She's the founder of Hikes and Bites UAE. They explore different areas, different activities, getting kids and families out in the, out in the great outdoors. And I think a, 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 big, a big barrier for a lot of people, Allah, is where to go. So I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about some of the criteria that you have in mind when suggesting family friendly routes. What are you looking for?
0: Um, honestly, it's very different for each. Uh, what is, what are the age of the kids that you have? Like, um, um, four years old are a bit different than six and seven years old. The seven, six, seven years old, they have the responsibility. They have the awareness to walk carefully, but four years old are quite reckless, honestly. <laughs> um, so I, I, it's different for what are your kids' uh, ages um some some of the walks like hatha farm walk and wadi sheath are very uh, suitable for almost all ages um even toddlers um they're straightforward and nothing uh, very hard and cheated almost all the whole way mm-hmm. some places they might be a little bit tricky they have to go down rocks up rocks you don't you're supposed not to run or walk, uh, jump or anything reckless um, I would say that would be uh, Wadi al-Ghuna is recent and is very, very nice. Everyone is loving Wadi al-Ghuna. Um, uh, Wadi Abadila is quite good as well. It's a bit um, well more dangerous this year, but it's still good. I and many, many others also. You know? <laughs> the, the Wadi's,
3: I think, is, is um, what we've enjoyed the most. You know, when we've gone camping in Fajara and next morning gone to Wadi here, where... Yeah. Well, last time we were done yeah. we saw frog spawn and we saw fish yeah. and, you know, the kids just absolutely love kind of spotting things along the way. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you have got those little, mum, can you carry me or mum, can we go back to the car? What are some of the techniques you use with yours to, to keep them moving, and keep them motivated, Ella?
0: Well, honestly, my son was quite um, hard to, to start with on the hiking. He, he didn't want to walk, didn't want to go. Um, some tricks that I started learning is that I make a, a game for him. I give him a lot of wrists and a lot of snacks, um, kind of like bribes, honestly. Um, but bribing them outdoor is a lot better than bribing them indoors, well, or with a tablet or something. Um, he does. He does. Um, Wine a lot. He does want to go back. I did notice that he enjoys the hikes a lot more when there are other kids with him. Oh, uh, yes. They kind of like play around, talk, they make new friends, and then they play water is lava or something like that. And they really push uh, each other forward. Um, but I do go on their own pace. I don't push him. I don't. Uh, I don't expect him to go further than he can. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's tired, I go back I, because the main point is that he enjoys outdoors. He enjoys nature. Exactly. Um, this is not a
3: punishment. Yeah. <laughs> it's about yeah, being together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't expect a lot. This, and This has grown really from from you and your family to now opening it up to, to other families as well. We've had a number of messages going, can you please say the account again? I will of course. Um, I'll yeah. On Instagram it's hikes underscore and underscore bites underscore UAE a message here saying, I want to go hiking but never explored what's available here his son though is going hiking this weekend at the Repton School as part of the Duke of Edinburgh the kids at mine, uh, my my daughter's school are going to Hatter I think at the minute Um, so there mm-hmm. is, we're, we really are spoilt for choice around here but I wanted to lastly ask you a little bit about about the safety aspect and some of the essentials that you always take with you Ella, when you're when you're going exploring
0: yeah, yeah um, well for sure sun protection is very important uh, sunscreen and hat, especially here in UAE is very very important uh, mosquito repellent if the kid is quite um, allergic to mosquito bites Um, first aid kit is also quite important even small injuries they might turn into an infection or smell scratch so it's it's always better to have a first aid antibacterial cream Um, yeah these are the most essential if you trick a lot with your son or kids um, then hiking boots are quite helpful honestly they they prevent falling they prevent slipping on water Um,
3: yeah that's it well, for anyone that does want to follow you, get involved. And as I said, it's a really comprehensive um, Instagram in terms of talking about, you know, ages that's suitable for you. You're also opening it up to people to join you as well. You've got registrations. It is hikes and bites. And if you want the details, drop me a little message on 4001 and I will send them your way. I'm uh, wishing you a lovely weekend ahead. Enjoy this gorgeous weather while you can. And uh, mm-hmm. I'll be staying tuned for some more ideas and inspirations to get the, get the family out and enjoy the beautiful UAE if you want the link for hikes and bikes drop me a message just say hike on 4001 and I will send that your way Now, I love a busy studio and today it's absolutely packed with people and with talent because joining us today are two young authors. We've got Nicholas and Henry with us and they have written a book. And I have a copy in my hand here. It's called See You in Hell. And I'm going to give you a little little bit of um, background. It's set in Whitby in North East England, not far from where I'm from. And more than a decade after a local teen disappears, small town detective... Dante receives an email supposedly from the murderer, admitting to have killed her, threatening to strike again with more vengeance on the small community. What a setup! Can't wait to read it, and so lucky to have the authors in the studio. And just 11 years old, Henry goes to desk, Nicholas is at Javalali, and Mika is with us as well. She is the one responsible for so much talent encouragement here in the UAE with her Young Authors Academy. Nicholas, I want to start with you. How are you, sir? Um, Fine, thank you. Nice to have you with us. Um, How did you and Henry meet each other? What was the connection?
1: Um, I joined school in year two, and... Um, Yeah, we made friends
3: there. You were classmates and now you're at different schools. But, Henry, you're now writing together. When did that start?
1: Uh,
5: That started around, I think, year four, was it? Year five, the end of year five. And that was, was that in
3: school? Yeah, in school. But now you're not in school. So you obviously really, really enjoyed writing together. The book is out. This isn't. This is not your first, by the way. You've written three books together. Now writing solo ones. Henry, I want to ask about how it works. Writing with a friend. Are you? You write a word. You write a word. You're writing a chapter each. Do you write together? Can you? Can you tell us how it all happens?
5: So it's mainly just how we feel. So sometimes uh, Nicholas writes uh, five pages and I just look through it. Sometimes we like writing at the same time. So I write a sentence. He writes a sentence. It Basically, it's just how we feel that day Sometimes, let's say one of us is busy It's just one person writing And sometimes we, like, go on a call together And we say, like, let's write for an hour uh yeah
3: I love this. So it's really collaborative. You're really, you really a writing team, Nicholas. Why focus on a bit of a murder mystery, a bit of a dark topic? Is there something you read <coughs> yourself? Do you like this kind of, this kind of genre?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I read Karen McManus and Stephen King. Yeah. Favorite um, books. And I got inspired by this since the other books weren't anything around murder mystery, and since those were like really popular at that time in my age, mm-hmm. then we decided to write that. Now, I don't know how to say this, but this feels like quite a
3: grown-up book. Are you aiming this at kids your age? Or who, who, who's the reader you had in mind, Nicholas, when you were, when you were putting this together?
1: Um, to be honest, we weren't expecting kids our age to read it because we were kind of advanced. Yeah, you like, Way more advanced than anyone in our class back then.
3: <laughs> Henry, what's it like to see artwork, to see the words that you've been spending all your time on your laptops on suddenly with a book in your hand?
5: Uh, I, it just feels really cool
3: because,
5: mm-hmm. like, we spent hours on this and then now it's finally done. It just it makes me feel really happy also.
3: And what's the response been like from your family and your friends? What are they saying?
5: Uh, so most of my family, they're really excited to read the book. Uh, most of the copies are arriving around now. Oh. Same. thing.
3: Wow, that must be so strange. I think a lot of people... I mean, there's that famous saying that everyone has a book in them, which, which is people saying, I have an idea for a book. I'd like to write a book. That's me. I'd love to write a book. But I just don't seem to make the time. And I wondered, we know how busy kids are in Dubai with school and after school activities and friends and family. Nicholas, how did you find the time to actually do this?
1: Um, like in evenings sometimes or in holidays, you just take time off and like, oh, I'm going to go write and since no one really stopped us since it was like a good hobby. It is a good, and it's a great hobby. We did it anyway, all the time mostly. Sometimes we had to do it Um, while, like when times we finish like lessons really early, we would just write the book then.
3: Good. We're It's better, better than playing Roblox or something, guys. Um, I want to get your advice, Henry, for any other kids out there any young writers who might have an idea for a book and think, oh, I just don't know how to start. How do you start?
5: So uh, <clears throat> just what I would say is just start doing it. It will. What, what I find strange, once you start, it just carries on going.
3: Get into the flow. Yep. Okay. Now, the book here, where can we get it? Give us a little idea, Nicholas. It's going to be coming soon. Where will we'll be able to find um, it?
1: It's on Amazon, UAE, South Africa, Mexico, Spain, what? UK, US, India, Singapore. What? Um,
3: Global authors. I just said to you before we went on air, I was asking where your name was from. It's like, how many languages have we got in the studio? So what languages do you speak? Uh, I
1: speak Spanish, English and a bit of Arabic.
3: And then, Henry, you are just like fully international and taking over Europe.
5: Uh, yeah, I, I speak uh, Finnish and like a bit of Swedish. That's just
3: amazing. You guys are absolutely amazing. Are you working on another one? What are you scheming?
1: Um, We are working on another one, but we're not doing it together this time. Since it's our first independent book, we want to give it a try.
3: Okay, can I ask you then separately, Nicholas, what what kind of genre are you going to be sticking with? Your kind of Stephen King, your your dark Um, murder mystery horrors, or where are you going to be taking it?
1: I want to try something different because the book that I'm trying to write is about a detective that gets killed. But then, like, wakes up 82 years later as a robot, so he has to find out, like, his own murder mystery.
3: I love it. What about you, Henry? What are you thinking?
5: So I want to move more into the history fiction. So right now I'm writing a book about the Cuban Missile Crisis, if you've heard of it.
3: I didn't think I'd heard of the m- Cuban Missile Crisis when I was 21, never mind 11 years old. So it sounds like you get inspiration from absolutely everywhere.
5: Yeah. yeah.
3: Oh, guys, thank you so much. We've just been chatting with Nicholas and Henry. They've written a book called See You in Hell. They are just 11 years old. And speaking now to Mika, she is the founder and general manager of the Young Author Academy. Very much instrumental in encouraging, fostering talent and getting them published as well. What an achievement. Mika, where did this begin for you? Why have you got such a passion about young writers and readers?
2: Yes, thank you, Helen. Um, well, the, the passion, I've always loved writing myself ever since I was uh, very little. I would uh, start stories, never really finish them, but start stories and, um, and, and just get swept away with the writing. And that did accompany the, the reading as well. So I loved that. But when I had children of my own, uh, I have a 13-year-old and a 9-year-old, um, I discovered that my eldest needed a little bit of improvement in her writing. Um, she was good. But, of course, I wanted her to love writing, um, if that's something that she wanted to do. And uh, and I really just went through the motions of ensuring that she had the tools to be able to uh, enjoy it, Mm -hmm. um, whether it was uh, fabulous or not. You know, I wanted her to enjoy it. And so over the course of a year, she wrote a a little story and then wanted to publish. I was interested in the publishing kind of, um, you know, area. And uh, uh, after a few months, we uh, decided that we would go down the path of um, publishing and having the book available on Amazon. Which is all very exciting, really, too. really cool. People, really yeah. cool.
3: When you say they're the kind of the tools that she needed, what kind of tools are you talking about?
2: Yeah. So, at school, they learn the fundamentals, of course, and that's fabulous. And and they learn um, the parts of speech, and they learn to construct sentences and um, and and stories um, and such. And they learn, as I said, the fundamentals of writing. Um, the tools uh, over and above those fundamentals are definitely their imagination. They need to harness that imagination because every single child has it. It's just it just has to be it just has to be in their style. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like reading. If you don't love reading, it's really because you haven't found that that That's style your thing. your thing. yeah, mm-hmm. and writing is 100% the same. Um,
3: You've turned yeah. this and kind of fostered that into the academy. Tell us about yeah. how that works.
2: Yeah. So we, uh, we very much... Uh, so Nicholas and Henry were quite rare. They actually came to me with a completed story. It's very, very rare that, uh, especially at 11 years old, that they actually have a story that's completed. Punctuation is fabulous. They're
3: looking very, very proud, as they should. (laughs)
2: They should be, yeah. Yeah, so that's – it is very, very rare. I think a lot of children think that uh, they need to – and I see it every day – children think that they need to be a perfect writer mm-hmm. to produce something even to show it to their parents i think i think adults feel that way yeah we do
3: like you know i, I don't feel brave enough to present something to the world unless it's absolutely spot on yeah and sometimes yeah. it can be the gem of an idea or you know a story that i mean great example here that you know the guys collaborating together mm. and to be able to encourage that so yeah. how do you encourage it
2: yeah so we have workshops uh that uh, so we have a we have a program that's nine weeks long uh just enough to complete a project yeah keep but not the concentration. Too long, yeah yeah but not too long where they where the young writers will be potentially uninterested after a, a point in time mm-hmm. um and so we we every week run through some exercises to help them foster the the, the and adopt the fundamentals they're learning into their own story what do you think? children and young people
3: get from writing because I can tell you you know me as an adult I've always been a writer it helps me work out problems it Mm. makes me kind of come to terms with feelings and you know in creative writing it you get you get into a completely other world which I think is incredibly useful yeah for, and I started writing a diary when I was about this guy, about 11. But for creative writing, what do you think young people can get out of that, Mika?
2: Yeah, so I think it's the, the – well, one, I see the confidence. After the children have learnt that they can actually construct something that's not either copied of what they're reading, mm-hmm. which is very common, um, that they can learn uh, in their own style. R- writing is not maths. Maths is binary, right? And it's it's fairly simple to understand if you're doing something right or wrong. I think uh, once uh, a writer, even if the story is 20 pages long, once they understand that they can construct a story that's interesting, that makes sense and is something that literally was something unique that they created, the confidence that comes from that is beautiful.
3: Well, we've got some beaming smiles in the studio, rightly so, from our 11-year-old published authors. Nicholas, I wanted to ask you for some last bits of advice to any kids or parents listening today who say, do you know what? My, I love reading. I'd love to have a go at writing. What would you say to get them on on the path to becoming published?
1: Um, be passionate about writing, because um, it's a good hobby. But don't go for the wrong like type of inspiration. Like if you're like, oh, I want to write a book for the money, and that's not really the right inspiration. Because if you're passionate and you want to like harvest all of that like energy of mm-hmm. you being passionate, then you're more than likely to succeed.
3: What's the dream, Henry? Are we thinking maybe we'll see Dante in the big screen one day? Would you love to become, you know, in the in the book or movie business? What are you thinking?
5: Um, that would be cool. I highly doubt that would happen. But...
3: Hey, never say never. <laughs>
5: um, so movie business, I'm not really sure. I think I want to lean more towards the writing side. Maybe writing movies, but not. Movie, movie. Sky's the Limit.
3: I can see by the look in your eye, you boys, this is far from the last project, whether it's together or solo. All the very best with the books moving forward. And Mika, for anyone that does want to get involved in the Young Author Academy, what's the best way of getting in touch?
2: Yes, yeah, so we have a website, at sorry www.youngauthoracademy.com.
3: If you want details of that, drop me a little message. The new intake starts in March, nine-week course for young authors out there. And as I said, if you want those details, get in touch. Huge congratulations. And I have to say, that's my, that's my reading sorted. I'll put it forward to the book club. See you in hell is out very soon indeed. And the young authors in the studio right now. We've had some very inspirational people in the studio this afternoon and ending strong with two women who have such a passion for diving and now encouraging other women to get involved. But what are some of the barriers, the obstacles or perceived reasons for that gender gap in diving? Joining us in the studio is Chloe Griffin, Master Scuba Diver, Trainer, Instructor and Dive Master Elaine Froggatt. They have a podcast as well. They are the Ocean Sisters UAE. And an absolute pleasure to have you with us. Um, Chloe, you've been diving since you were... 10 years old, who first you got you in the water and where did it all begin for you?
6: Um, it was my parents that got me involved in scuba diving. Um, so they're both
3: did they dive for themselves?
6: Yes, so they were advanced open water divers, and I think they wanted to get rid of me and my brother oh, so they over. could go on. <laughs> it's
3: like the ultimate kids yes. club,
6: you could just go over, <laughs> just there, over there, for there for a few. Four days, <laughs> and you obviously
3: caught the bug early. Yes. And tell us a little bit about, I mean, what you've been doing in the interim to, to get to the level you're at now.
6: Yeah, so there's quite a few levels with the paddy course. So you do the open water, the advanced, rescue, dive master, instructor, master scuba diving trainer. Um. So, yeah, so it takes um quite a few... Uh, this only oh, so like, taken me a, a few years to... This must to be to
3: like a dream focus. job, though.
6: Yes. Yeah, no, I absolutely love it. And I think one of the things I enjoy most is introducing people to the ocean and seeing their like face after coming out from the dive and just exploring the, mm, the marine for, life. and but, that sense yeah, of accomplishment they, as and, yeah, well
3: exactly. elaine i hear you're called the aussie legend you have <laughs> dived all over the world you're just saying off air with great white sharks and so, i mean come on t- tell us a little bit about about your journey where where have you been and, and where did your passion start
7: so i started um in the uk about 12 years ago uh, in freezing cold waters. Was it, a, was it in a quarry? Was it that kind yes, of thing? Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> in Newport. <laughs> uh, freezing cold quarry. And my bottom time was like eight minutes. And my instructor said, I'm sorry, but you need a dry suit. So dry suit course done. And then my bottom time extended. And then uh, we just kept diving there. And in West Wales, uh, St Brides and Martins Haven, did my advanced uh, with a lovely instructor called Tristan, and oh, he's beautiful. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and then I found myself a couple of years later in South Africa, uh, warmer waters, very warm. Yeah, it was still chilly though. Um, <laughs> and then we were studying Great Whites for a while, and then I moved here to Dubai seven years ago, and it, I put it my diving on a hold. I, I think Chloe and I did the same kind of mm. thing, and. Uh, It was really odd because like a year and a half ago, it was a case of, do you know what? I really miss the ocean. It's mental freedom down there. And then I did my rescue course, I did my nitrox course, and I recently completed, well, six months ago, eight months ago, I completed my dive master, and Chloe, Mm -hmm. I bless her, was my instructor. Yeah. And look, (laughs) you're still talking today.
6: So so is that how you met,
3: Chloe? What was the connection with you two? Oh,
6: gosh. Oh, well, no, it wasn't how we met. Um, In fact, (laughs) we were on the same boat one day, and I... I was just about to go on a dive and I saw this girl kind of pop up from the water and she looked a bit flustered. So I was like, are you okay? And she's like, I've lost my group, I've lost my group. <laughs> and uh, I think you were following a puffer fish or something. I was no, a bit, yeah. bit distracted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and that's how the story began, really. I mean, and you, I was like, come join me. We <laughs> mostly
3: bonded over this love of diving, but it sounds like the real passion is exactly what Ocean Sisters is all about. It's about getting other women in the water and... Claire, I wondered if you, you know, given the experience you've had, and mm. in, in teaching in particular, what are some of the common, you know, reasons or perceived obstacles that you think many women kind of are, you know, are in the way for women, or women put in their own way to, to stop them getting getting into diving?
6: Yeah, um, I guess there's a few. Um, so there's things like periods, and looking
3: like, what you look like in a wetsuit, what you look
6: like in a wetsuit, <laughs> what your hair's gonna look like, how do I put my hair up? um just like swimming and some people just don't feel comfortable in Mm -hmm. the water um carrying these tanks and heavy equipment sometimes it can look very overwhelming um so it's just kind of encouraging them that actually it's
3: it's, and and breaking it down
6: what do do we know about
3: a gender split i know that it's hard to get data in in terms of these things internationally but you Mm -hmm. know what have you kind of observed and what would you imagine that split to be like
6: Um, In terms of open water divers, so there is now more um, females getting involved, which is great. Um, In terms of the professional level, there's still quite an imbalance. So there's about 30% women professionally doing this. Um,
3: This this news looks like it's actually paining, Elaine. Your face is is (laughs) totally revolted by, by this statistic. I
7: am. I'm really sorry. I think... Women have a different outlook on diving. We are very much more, we're firm. We stick to paddy standards. But it's the empathy that we show uh, people that are panicking. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they don't understand something, it's a case of, right, I can put this in a different way that you are going to understand and you are going to dive and you're going to absolutely love it. You know, uh and I feel like some women have been put off by the other species.
1: <laughs> we're not, we're not talking great whites.
7: <laughs> no, the male
3: species. And that I bit don't. of a bit of bravado and yeah. ego and all that
6: stuff. Uh, the, the mansplaining. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Man spreading on the, the boat. Man <laughs> spreading. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I've not heard that before. Yeah
3: wide legs, yep. wide legs. <laughs> <laughs> so how are you combating this you've got the podcast of course and it sounds like you're building an amazing community what kind of practical yeah. steps are you hoping to take to get more women in the UAE get their tanks on
6: um, so I guess it's, um, it's uh, encouraging girls to do it together we do lots of girl dive days as well yeah so for trying to do even it-
3: total, total beginners
6: yeah yeah total beginners so there's like a discover scuba dive program so just getting them to try it um to see you know i mean breathing through apparatus. um, uh,
3: apparatus an odd thing at first exactly yeah Um, and what what skills would you say elaine that you would need to even do something like a discover you know what what, uh, what not necessarily what competency but maybe what confidence would you would you need to have to to kind of just get in the water for the first time
7: well the first thing i would say is you'd have to have confidence in your instructor yeah and you build up a rapport with your instructor, and then when obviously you do your DSD on e-learning now, so that you know what is coming. But then to actually get yourself into that, uh, into the pool for the first dive, it's like it's it is very nerve-wracking. So to have someone in there that understands your pain, <laughs> your anxiety, and to say, look, it's okay. you're a,
3: a literal under under, you know. A, 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 you know, an actual handhold and just yeah. to know, to have that look yeah. that exchange of I know you, I trust you I know you, I trust you Yeah,
6: and it's exactly like taking it just step by step, step by step, by step. Mm-hmm. like just putting mm-hmm. your face in the water just getting used to just breathing
3: yeah. Now you've just opened up recently the dive centre at J.A. The Resort Chloe, you are, you know, p- people coming <laughs> along and learning, learning from you, tell us a little bit about I guess how you're trying to welcome people to the waters of the UAE
6: Yeah, so um, I've opened up at J.A. Resort about two months ago.
3: Congratulations.
6: Thank you. Gorgeous,
3: gorgeous property. I love it. You made friends with all the peacocks yet?
6: Yes. Good. (laughs) Um, They're not interested in diving, but (laughs) um, yeah, so everyone's just been really welcoming. One of my aims is, well, one of my passions is ocean conservation. And so what I would really love to do is get more involved in that, and I know... Females, especially in this um, area, are, are more concerned um, about what's happening to I think the abso- ocean. Abso- and, abso- and absolutely.
3: Ellen. what would you say to anyone that's always had that kind of hankering of like, oh, I would love to do it, I just don't think it's for me?
7: I have this philosophy. <laughs> just go and do it.
3: Not not to rip off Nike, but just do it?
7: Just do it. It's, it's a case of... Um, I, I actually do have a saying It's and a lot of people that know me will be like I don't live by what ifs I live by okay there's an opportunity, I'm going to go take it.
3: It's a why not.
7: It's a why not and if I fail well I fail, I redo it and I learn from it and I become a stronger, uh, better person from it and then you end, up, you end up being successful. My dive master, I didn't think I would be good enough to do it And here I am and I've done it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) can't say fairer than that.
7: As I said, guys,
3: you've got the podcast as well. You get some inspirational guests there sharing their passion and their adventures as well. What's the best Mm -hmm. way to find you online and listen to the podcast and also connect with you and maybe take part in some of those trips, Chloe?
6: Yeah, so we're on all major podcast platforms, so Spotify, iTunes, Amazon. Um, and you can also follow us on Instagram, which is Ocean, Ocean Sisters UAE.
3: Thank you so, so much, Elaine, Chloe from Ocean Sisters. If you want that link, drop me a little message. I was just saying to you off air, my 8 year old is going to be old enough to do hers is it to is got bubbles
6: bubble maker bubble Yay! maker so we're going to get some get some
3: very young women involved because i think it does start then and I'm, I'm i'm so glad you said it was about your parents because i feel like us as parents have a big responsibility to model trying new things and that couldn't be diving it could be it can be absolutely anything but yeah. i think a lot of that attitude of that you know, why not just do it It needs to come from us as parents and get that next generation of young women in the water. Thank you so, so much, Lainey and Chloe, joining us. And if you do want details of of them online, drop me a little message and just say dive. I will send that over to you if you message me on 4001. Mm -hmm.